of freedom come new levels of repression, suppression, and silencing of true speech driven by a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? I don't think so. So how does the truth avoid being a casualty? It finds an ally. The Truth News Network. And your conductor on this underground railroad is Dan Newman. Make no mistake about it. We are the allies of the truth. Truth News Network. Now, that's not just me. That's not just us here. That's all of you as well. You're partners in this thing. And we're about digging and finding and vetting things that we are told. These are true things. Because novel idea. Sometimes that's not true. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Wednesday. First Wednesday of February. And thank you for joining us here at TNN Live. For those of you that read our story this morning that was published, we'll go into that a little bit later on. Um, the 900-pound gorilla in the room, of course, is the State of the Union message presented by President Joe Biden last night, 62 minutes, and it was full of all kinds of facts. Well, facts just according to Joe Biden, calling them facts. We're going to spend a good bit of time the first hour wading into those unfactual facts that Joe gave us and replacing those with documented, vetted, accurate information. That's a new idea for this administration, to be quite honest with you. I think it's a new idea for any Democrat in power, and sadly a bunch of Republicans too. All of that rolled in together. Guess where we are today in life, folks? We're right here. On March the 2nd, Texas Independence Day. I bet you're excited about that, right? March the 2nd already. And my wife just told me it. I said February. And I just corrected it. I said March, March 2nd. Anyway, there are a lot of pegs, round pegs, that are being forced into square holes and vice versa. And they're not working. But leadership is a situation where if you're really a leader, if you've really got your stuff all together and you're leading and you're honest, leadership is something where you give the facts and for the bad things that happen, you take, if you're the leader, accountability for your part in those bad things. However, that's not the case in this United States of America and this political system, federal especially, I'm sure it trickles down to state and local levels as well, but in politics, foe, when you're running for office or you're already office and you're trying to keep people liking you and maybe thinking ahead about a re-election, facts just kind of get in the way. They mudded the water, and that's about all they do. And so in the context, most of you, I'm looking over to see how many people we have that have already tuned in. I can just tell you this. Most of the thousands that are tuned in already watched the State of the Union address last night. Kudos to you. I watched most of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. And if you read the story in today's truthnewsnet.org front page article, first couple of sentences, I explained why I didn't watch it all. Because several times when I was watching it, I threw up a little bit in my mouth and had to go spit it out. Yeah, (laughs) it was that kind of bad. But let me tell you this. Did you even think through the process of Joe Biden getting everything together 
to give that State of the Union address last night. Of course, he had teleprompters. He always does. And of course, he messed up. He messed or missed some parts during the teleprompter speeches, and that's somebody manually having to roll those up. You understand how that works. And if he gets off script, either going or coming, sometimes they'll mess up in that regard. That's on probably a combination of the speaker and the teleprompter worker. But I'm going to tell you this. In my lifetime, the really good presidential State of the Union messages In some cases, a huge portion, if not all of those, were live without a teleprompter. And so therefore, you not only heard the words that were spoken, you were able to sense the emotion of the words being spoken. That's a huge difference between this president today and the way he entered the United States Senate and was there for 36 years. Folks, he was one of the greatest orators in senatorial history. But that's gone. That's way, way behind him and his rearview mirror, and sadly for ours as well. Now, what hasn't changed in his speech making is the fact that throughout his career in politics, he wasn't very honest very often. In fact, he was very dishonest very often. That's just a fact. So in the context of, you know, last Thursday, looking ahead over the weekend, he went to Delaware Someone in his family, close family, died and they had a memorial service. They told us it was going to be on Saturday. And then they told us Sunday he wasn't back in the White House because he's got this memorial service in Delaware. And Monday they told us, Monday morning, he's not in the White House. He's in Delaware having a memorial service for that loved one. Covering for the POTUS is what you call that. But in the lead up in his preparation, don't you know he talked to some people about what he was going to tell the nation in the State of the Union address. I happened to find a sit-down, a private sit-down, that Joe Biden last Thursday had with somebody, and they were talking about what his desire in the State of the Union address was. I mean, if you're talking about the President of the United States, the most powerful person on Earth, and in the greatest country on the planet, you know there's a big responsibility that anybody that sits in that chair at the Oval Office or gets up before a joint session of Congress in a State of the Union address along with millions of other Americans, there's a lot of heat on you to get it right. And so whoever he was talking to, and I don't believe it was a a major network, probably somebody, a friend or whoever, but asked him what He wanted most out of his State of the Union address and what his goals were to get across to the American people. This is only about a minute, but turn your volume up. I will promise you this. This minute will change your life. Ladies and gentlemen, about the State of the Union address and about what Joe hoped to accomplish, here he is out of his own mouth. I was able to restore some decency and honor to the office. I was able to bring the middle class back to a place where they had real opportunity, given an even chance to succeed. And I was able to reconstruct our alliances, which had been frayed so badly internationally. And that I was able to uh, um, bring people together, um, uh, bring the politics of America together. 
And, uh, and I think we're making slow progress on some of these things, but I think that's where we're moving. I hope my legacy is that I restored the soul of this country. I was able to give the middle class and we were able to build the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, not the top down. And they were able to uh, unify the country again. And wait a minute. Mr. President, you're not speaking to the crowd at a memorial service, and especially not a memorial service for you. You're still here. Oh, what you mean is you want to be able to tell the American people that you accomplished all these things in just one year, your first year as president of the United States. And the biggie, the bomb, the one that tore the roof off at my house when I saw this, is this segment of what he just said. Uh... Let me just play this for you again. I doubt if you did miss it, but just in case. I restored the soul of this country. I was able to give the middle class and we were able to build the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, not the top down. And they were able to uh, unify the country again. That last one, it just, that's one of those things that made me throw up a little bit in my mouth. He thinks he's restored unity. Unity's the opposite of division, right? Do you think he honestly believes what he just said, that he restored the unity? Folks, he has never done anything to reach across the aisle. In fact, when the aisle, when you're talking about normally a Democrat in office with a Republican party sitting across the aisle and vice versa, putting unity into thing means that you get together and you work on bipartisan policies to come up with ideals. Maybe you don't agree on everything, but in the middle of everything that they talk about, between parties, between branches of government, everything that's common in that is it's supposed to be finding consensus, a way to get together on the important issues. You may not get all the Democrat ideas to be agreed to. You may not get all the Republican ideas to be agreed to. That's understood. But what you try to do off camera, when the cameras aren't on, when nobody else is looking in, just your fellow representatives, if you're in the House, your House members, if you're on the Senate side, your fellow senators, and you come up with in every policy that is put up there, is it worth consideration digging deeper? And what we need to do is find the likes and the dislikes from both sides of the aisle and see if we can mesh enough of those together that we can agree on, get that approved and send it across to the other side, either from the Senate to the House or backwards, and then get it resolved there and then send something to the president to sign. That's not how it works. And this guy, folks, he doesn't give a rip. He's going to go to the person or the small group of people in Congress that he thinks give him the best shot to ram through some of his policies. Case in point, when he was doing this Build Back Better thing, he had these grand ideas that it was going to save the United States of America and be the greatest thing since sliced bread. He didn't go to Republicans and talk to them about it one-on-one. He knew every one of them were going to vote against it. Who'd he go to? Joe Manchin. Over and over again. And then Kristen Sinema, a Democrat senator from Arizona that didn't want to support and didn't 
support the Build Back Better bill because it was so empty of real facts. And it was so full of money giveaways. And when he didn't get those two, he just, we're done. That's not in any way building unity. That's just one thing. We're going to dig in a little bit about the State of the Union address and some of the stuff that he said, but I heard a note this morning. I'll watch just scans, uh, not a lot of morning news because I don't have a lot of time in the morning. Most of what we do is late at night. And uh, this morning on one news show, (laughs) I heard somebody bring up a point about what happened and what the optics were uh, in that joint session of Congress last night that were so obvious. Five days ago, folks, last Friday, everybody that came to that joint session of Congress was going to be required to wear a mask, you know, COVID land. I, I can't imagine a more obvious place to be a super spreader than 535 people in one room, none of them wearing a mask, right? Well, did you see any of the State of the Union last night? There were no masks. I think I saw one man in a wheelchair that had a mask on. And this morning on that news show, I heard it described, It's this is epic. You'll probably repeat this today. What we saw was a room full of 535 people that directly fit the niche that the CDC has put out there with all of their COVID statistics that says they're the most likely to get COVID-19. There were 535 of those in one room at a time. You know what we call that? The largest nursing home in America. (laughs) Isn't that a great line? Talk about obvious obfuscation from what they have been screaming for months. You're going to die if you don't wear a mask, and it's not just going to be you. Everybody you're in the presence with, wherever you go, at home, at work, the grocery store, if you're outside jogging on a jogging path and there is somebody 20 yards behind them, you got to wear a mask because you're going to be a spreader. We didn't have any mass outbreaks during college football this year. I haven't heard of a single one in basketball, which, by the way, is played inside. And then, of course, the entire NFL season. All of these and everything that happened in all of those huge quote-unquote super spreaders, none of it played out like the left told us, the CDC, Dr. Fauci. None of it did. And of course, last night, it makes sense. (sighs) There are so many conundrums that come out of this government. It just really, folks, it's really difficult to deal with just to find the biggest ones. So why don't we peel back a a few, just a few of some of Joe's absurd lies that he shared with us in such a great leadership way last night. Just a few of them. Freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Well, that was a great slug line. That was, of course, pointed at Vladimir Putin regarding his invasion of Ukraine. He opened his speech by praising the lack of COVID-19 theater in the legislative chambers, and claiming that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Well, it was an audacious claim, and it came just a few months after he tried to force the COVID jab on every American worker, 
pushed his administration to work with big tech to censor any and all of his political opponents and smeared Republicans as domestic terrorists for giving a rip about their children's education. And I would call all of that as being eligible to be classified as tyranny. And of course, he said, the reason Vladimir Putin will not win in Ukraine is because freedom will always triumph over tyranny. And we need to add a little bit to that line, Joe, if it doesn't come to you. Because in our case, pretty much everything from the top, all of the political hoo-ha that you have wanted to get pushed down, you forced it on us. The policies, I'm not talking about legislation, the policies, the executive orders. That's number one. Powerful sanctions stopped Russia, you said. Remember this? Days after Biden said U.S. sanctions against Russia weren't expected to prevent anything from happening? That, of course, is about the Ukraine conflict. The president claimed he leveraged powerful punishments against Vladimir Putin, which stopped the Eastern European in his tracks. Have you seen the news this morning, Joe? It's worse than ever in Ukraine. Here's what he said. A Russian dictator invading a foreign country has cost around the world, Biden said. And I'm taking robust action to make sure the pain of our sanctions is targeted at Russia's economy. 24 hours before he said that. Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters the sanctions are meant to have a deterrent impact against Russia. Vice President Kamala Harris National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and other members of his cabinet also promoted sanctions as a way to stop Putin from invading Ukraine. Guess what? He didn't listen. He's in Ukraine today. And this is one of those that made me throw up a little bit in my mouth. He told Americans, quote, I will be honest with you, as I've always promised. <laughs> There, there's, there's a bunch of websites out there that update lie trackers. Um, they prove that claim is far from the truth. Nathan Brand, he tweeted this. I love that. Well, that's a lie. To all Americans, I will be honest with you, as I've always promised Joe Biden, there's his commitment, and in his commitment, he told the big lie. This was a woozy, too. The American Rescue Plan, it worked. He touted the American Rescue Plan as a significant boost to the economy that helped working people and left no one behind. But he just forgot this, I guess. He didn't mention it was this sudden influx of federal cash in a slowly, very slowly rebounding economy that contributed heavily to the inflation and rising prices plaguing us all. Today, I saw $5.27 a gallon gas in Southern California this morning. Another doozy. Trump's tax cuts only helped the rich. He repeated that again and again. He has through the two years and even during his campaign that former President Trump's tax cuts helped only the rich, even though they actually increased worker earnings and opened up job opportunities across the board. Most of them were the middle class. 
His false claim earned a round of boos from the Democrat politicians in the audience who were eager for a chance to take a shot at Trump. But when they did it, everybody in the room, everybody else in the room thought they were booing Biden because he was lying. And another biggie, quote, I created lots of new jobs. He touted the rising U.S. job record as one of the highlights of his first year in office. But he didn't mention that the only reason the job rate is growing is that millions of people are going back to work after tyrannical bureaucrats shut down the economy for months in the name of stopping COVID-19, which is what he was touting. Now, what about those lot of jobs? Well, six and a half million people returned to work following pandemic lockdowns. Nowhere on earth does anybody think Joe Biden created six and a half million jobs. The statistics don't even say that. In fact, they say the exact opposite. There's a difference in creating new jobs and people that have jobs going back to work after they got laid off. Those are not new jobs. And he didn't create them unless he wants to take 100% responsibility for everything to do with COVID-19, everything. Even his pushing hard for companies to close down, for schools to close down, for states to close down, feds go home. So then the jobs drop off. Millions of those jobs were gone. And then he allowed people to obviously make their own choices in most cases, big businesses, and even small businesses. Y'all go back to work. You can go back to work if you want to. Oh, yeah, I let them all go back to work, so I created those jobs. We don't have as many people in the workforce today as we did before he took office. How could he possibly have created new jobs when there aren't people working? Buying American products is a priority. Another whopper. He told us buying American products is a priority for his administration, but he conveniently avoided reinstating the U.S. energy independence. How'd he do that? Cutting off Russian oil supplies and lifting his ban on American drilling. No, he didn't do that. He didn't even bring it up, but if he did, he would have really gotten a round of booze from a lot of people in that room, not just from the Republican side. His lie also ignored the fact that the White House recently defended buying at least $1.3 billion worth of COVID-19 rapid test. Which U.S. company is the one that got that order? $1.3 billion. The company in the United States that got the order isn't a company and isn't in the United States. It's the communist Chinese government, and it came from China. $1.3 billion. But he's buying American products. That's what it's got to, that's what we've all got to do. We're going to buy, we've already doing it. The federal government, we're buying everything locally. Our economy roared back faster than almost anyone predicted. But as average Americans suffer the consequences of a prolonged supply chain crisis and inflation, it's clear 
price hikes that were once touted by the administration as being transitory, remember that short term, they're here to stay for sure for a while, hopefully not eternally. And of course, this one just blew my mind. It's another one of those throw up in your mouth moments. He claimed that the solution to inflation is for businesses to lower your cost, not your employee wages. I don't know where he got this. He obviously has no kind of association to business, no understanding. And then you look back at his career. Oh, he was a lifeguard. Remember the one where he would get on the lifeguard stand and he told us these little kids he had white hair on his legs and he told a deep story and he was in a crowd. A bunch of the crowd were little kids and he said, these little kids would come up and they would rub the hair on my legs. I'm sure he was working and I'm sure that might have happened occasionally. The president of the United States telling that story, knowing it's going out nationwide and that's a big deal. He lives in La La Land. One Twitter One tweet said, Biden, I have a better plan to fight inflation. Lower your cost, not your wages. (laughs) Folks, there's two ways to a bottom line in any governing or any private entity if you really want to have a legitimate bottom line. Everybody does because that means you've made some money. Revenue, how much money comes in. Expenses, how much money goes out. And there's not a company on earth that can just say, hey, I'm just going to cut my prices on my goods and services. I think they're too high. Well, if you do that, then what, what happens? Well, if you made a little bit of money last year in COVID, that's a great feat. If you reduced your cost, that means you have to cut your cost. How do you and who do you cut those costs with? Well, it starts with your employees. He spit out a conundrum. He has no clue what he was saying. Lower your cost. This is a quote. Lower your cost, not your wages. So, you've only got two real sectors of expense. Big ones. Labor and what you pay vendors for their services and their goods that you sell or you market in your uh, company. If you cut your fees and leave everything else the same, according to Biden, he expects every company to lose money because that's what will happen every time. My tax plan, he said, is going to lower cost and the deficit. My plan to fight inflation will lower your cost and lower the the deficit. Truth is, Biden's tax plan would result in a net increase in the deficit, totaling $367 billion over this fiscal period through 2031, not counting any additional revenue that may be generated by additional funding for tax enforcement. That came from the Congressional Budget Office. Fact check. Tax Policy Center, nonpartisan, run by Democrats, Their report shows that Biden's tax plan will raise taxes on 75% of families in the first year, 95% in 10 years. 
lower the deficit. And he said this year he was going in the federal government this fiscal year. He's on track to have the lowest deficit in history of any presidential administration. I don't know where in the world. I don't know who told. There had to be somebody writing that speech that wanted him to embarrass himself by giving it. His first year as president, deficit under this president was twice the size of any previous one-year deficit in U.S. history. And, and, and remember, the fiscal year is October through September. So we have October, November, December, January, and February in the books. That's five months, almost half the year. His deficit this year is on track to go more than last year's deficit. But he says, he said last night, it's going to be the lowest deficit in history. Another one, anybody making less than $400,000 doesn't have to pay more taxes. Experts, economists from every ilk, however, agree that his promise not to raise taxes on those making less than $400,000 a year is ambitious, and it's also not realistic because those who fall below the mark are still subject to consequences from a highly taxed and inflated economy. And I love this one. You know, I had the little guy sitting up in the, the platform, guy that uses insulin every day. He said, let's lower the cost of insulin. And everybody, yes, sir, yes, sir, great thing, Mr. President. He called for those lower prices. He deemed it correctly to say we are in a drug price crisis. What he didn't mention, however, is that he undid the rule through executive order that was enacted by, we can't use his name, we have to say the prior administration. That would be Donald Trump. Donald Trump implemented a rule regarding insulin that dropped the price system, I mean, it, it, through, the, through the floor. Joe Biden is the one who raised the price of insulin after Trump lowered it. Lauren Boebert, member of Congress, a House of Representatives from Colorado. Unlike you, we have our minds and can still remember things, Joe. Give the lies a rest. He undid the rule and the prices for insulin went back up. Funding for police, he said is suddenly a big priority for his administration. But when rioters call for harm and financial cuts to police forces around the country during his 2020 summer of rage, Biden refused to even condemn one of them. He didn't encourage any prosecutor to arrest any of them doing it, unless they were white people, of course. None of the Black Lives, member, uh, Black Lives Matter group saw the inside of a jail if it, unless it was just for a few minutes. He also allies himself with Democrats who proudly call for racist police forces to lose their funding. And of course, they're the ones that determine who a racist police is, and we all know who they are. White cops. He said, we've got one right in America that is under assault and it's got to stop. That, of course, is the right to vote. And how it's under assault, according to him, states are passing voter integrity laws 
but failed to mention that Democrats and their cronies in big tech and the corporate media were the ones conspiring to rig the 2020 election. With money, hundreds of laws and processes were changed in the months leading up to the election. Remember that? Sometimes legally, most of the times not. That created chaos, confusion, uncertainty. Tech oligarch Mark Zuckerberg, one of the world's wealthiest and most powerful men, spent $419 million in the run-up to the 2020 election, nearly as much as the federal government itself spent, to interfere in the government's management by states of the elections in those key states. Pro-Democrat propaganda in the media and censorship of conservative voices, damning stories like the New York Post report on Hunter Biden also contributed to the plot to take over elections. And oh, by the way, if you didn't know this, guess what happened yesterday? Wisconsin. You remember all the craziness went on up there about their elections? It was so bad, Wisconsin governor wouldn't take the word of the attorney general in his state about there being horrible voting assault even felonies convicted to change votes during the 2020 election. The governor appointed a special prosecutor that came in, and he announced yesterday, right before the State of the Union, that he was telling the legislature and the governor they must redo the 2020 election. The right to vote is under assault. Yeah, if it is, it's by Democrats who want to create that perpetual majority in both the House and the Senate. And, of course, to keep the presidency. And the easiest way to do that is make sure you have all control of all those states they call key states. The the, the big ones that impact every election more than other states. I'm a gun advocate. I'm a Second Amendment guy. I own guns. I'm a concealed carry permit holder. Biden said gun makers are immune from prosecution even though manufacturers can be sued if a firearm is faulty or malfunctions. To me, that means they can be sued if they did something wrong. On the other hand, many of the manufacturers who created the COVID-19 jab are immune to prosecution. Despite Biden's claims that the gun industry is the only one afforded special privileges. Nathan Dom tweeted this. You know how Joe Biden always lies? Well, he just claimed only gun manufacturers are immune from prosecution and no other industries are. Did you know vaccine manufacturers are immune from prosecution? And nobody can sue them even if somebody in their family dies from a vaccination? You can't sue Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. Why can't you sue them? Our federal government indemnified them and said, you cannot be held liable. And maybe the biggest whopper of the night. We need to secure our border. He actually said he wants to secure the southern border and that he's taking swift action to do so. Lied a little bit there, just a little. More than 100,000 illegal migrants are crossing the Mexico border into the U.S. every month after his administration touted open borders, overlooked the humanitarian crisis for more than a year. 
He not only started his presidency by stripping border protections that were enacted by the previous administration, Donald Trump, but he welcomed illegals with open arms. As a result, Border Patrol encountered at least 2 million illegal aliens at the border last year and are expected to encounter even more than that this year. Many of these illegal aliens were released into the U.S. with loose instructions to report to ICE facilities but didn't. We have now found out that at least 50 of the Afghans that were supposed to and we were told they had been vetted before they were flown out of Kabul, Afghanistan, more than 50 of them we find out are on terrorist watch list around the world. And those 50 we don't know about. You know why we don't know about them? We don't know where they are. They were here, but nobody knows where they are. Now, somebody does. And we'll probably find out where they are when they they create some havoc here in the United States doing what terrorists do. And the final one, if we want to go forward, not backward, he said, we must protect access to health care, preserve a woman's right to choose. Killing babies in the womb, however, that must not be health care. Not only does the heinous act take the life of an unborn child, but it has detrimental effects on women's physical and mental health. It was created in the United States, weaponized and monetized by our federal government at the behest of a woman that moved here from Germany, later was instrumental in starting Planned Parenthood. Almost every Planned Parenthood location around the U.S. was and is built and operated adjacent to minority communities because the founder happened to be a eugenicist. A eugenicist is a person that wants to reduce population by selectively doing away with those in the population that they don't think are worthy. Which in this case, folks, abortion being created into an industry in the United States is for population control of minority kids. You got your two cents worth. If you didn't listen to the um, State of the Union, you just got the synopsis. And I, I didn't give you these details when we went over that. Let's talk just for a second, going away before we go to break. Our 2021 deficit is $2.77 trillion. That's $360 billion less than the record de- deficit of $3.1 tr- uh, trillion back in 2020. The deficits, which would have been unimaginable in the recent past, have been created by multiple trillions spent on COVID relief and economic recovery. The White House stated proudly declaring this year's deficit of a billion dollars less than what is predicted, which will be a new all-time high. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the budget statement is further evidence The national economy is in the midst of a recovery. She added that the current economic progress is the direct result of this administration addressing the pandemic and passing the American Rescue Plan. And it's true. You can't spend money that you don't have 
without creating a deficit, which there was already a deficit there, but ramping it up. That's crazy. The 2021 deficit is more than twice the amount of the pre-2020 record deficit of $1.4 trillion. The deficit produced in 2009 came from the Obama administration's massive stimulus and new spending packages following the 2008 financial crisis. And of course, Joe and Barack told us that was Bush 43 that created that. We had a horrible economy, and so they just threw more money after it. Shovel-ready jobs. And then when that didn't work out, we lost almost that $1 trillion that was thrown his way, Barack and Bill, to spend, which they did. He got caught on camera, did Barack Obama saying, well, I guess those shovel-ready jobs weren't so shovel-ready after all. Deficits, folks, are not a one-party situation. Democrats, Republicans, they all love spending money, our money, and most of it, and well, not most of it, but a lot of it, money we don't have. And I don't see that changing because I don't think our leadership, especially today, I don't think our leadership is on board for that. Man, we've, I, t- I told you we've got a busy day a busy day today. We have a whole lot of issues that we need to get into, important ones. Yes, there's still a war going on in Ukraine and people are still dying. Estimated now 2,000 civilian Ukrainians have died at the hands of Vladimir Putin. We're not going to go deep into the Ukraine thing because it's still going on and we're still hearing by this administration that they've got everything under control, but we think of the horrors that are being perpetrated on innocent people. It happens every day other places around the world, but it really gets into focus when it's Russia, one of the world's greatest nuclear superpowers, and in an unprovoked manner, they just decided they wanted Ukraine, and Vladimir Putin headed that way. A little bit more about Ukraine and a bunch of other stuff. Don't go anywhere. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing Everyday Price Cuts. Thank you. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. 
Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-through to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, cause I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounded with cheese, ten piece chicken McNuggets, or fillet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba da ba ba ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. Just one more thing. Joe Biden touts Buy American. You remember hearing that last night? Well, he's actually ensuring that taxpayers' dollars support American jobs and businesses if they're going to stay here. But he wasn't telling us the truth. His infrastructure bill, he signed that into law last year, provides giant federal carve-outs for industries to outshore, outsource and offshore a bunch of American jobs. When we use taxpayer dollars to rebuild America, we're going to buy American, he said. Buy American products to support American jobs. Well, we told you about the um, COVID shot test. He bought all those from China. One point something billion dollars. We spend about $600 billion a year to keep the country safe and secure. And there's been a law in the books, he said, for almost a century to make sure taxpayer dollars support American jobs and businesses. Every administration says they'll do it. But we are actually doing it, he said. We will buy American to make sure everything from the deck of an aircraft carrier to the steel on highway guardrails are made right here. It is not substantiated, folks, if you read the fine print in Biden's infrastructure plan. The plan allows the heads of federal agencies to issue waivers to corporations to work around Buy American requirements if they consider the requirement inconsistent with the public interest. And guess who determines which of those are inconsistent with the public interest? The company does, not the president or his administration, or even if outsourcing it does not meet satisfactory quality or if they believe buying American will increase costs for the projects. Here's just a little bit of what the bill actually said. The head of a federal agency that applies a domestic content procurement preference under this section may waive the application of that preference in any case in which the head of the federal agency finds that one, applying the domestic content procurement preference would be inconsistent with the public interest, two, types of iron, steel, manufactured products, or construction materials are not produced in the United States in sufficient and reasonably available quantities of a satisfactory quality, or three, the inclusion of iron, steel, manufactured products, or construction materials produced in the U.S., will increase the cost of the overall project by more than 25%. 
Now, these waivers that are in this infrastructure bill, they're only going to be reviewed every five years and will have to be justified in the Federal Register with a public comment period of no fewer than 30 days. Five years. That pushes it past the end of Joe Biden as president. The waivers are likely to be a massive benefit for corporations that produce materials and products that are often linked to our uh, trading partners, (laughs) the Chinese Communist Party. In 1985, before China entered the WTO, World Trade Organization, our U.S. trade deficit with China was $6 billion. In 2021, the trade deficit with China hit more than $355 billion in less than a year. Our trade deficit in Biden's first year as president, $859 billion, which is a record. The nation's booming trade deficits have coincided with one thing, one big thing, the loss of millions of American manufacturing jobs, as well as all the jobs that support those industries. From 2001 to 2018, for instance, the U.S.-China trade deficit eliminated 3.7 million American jobs. Didn't hear that part mentioned in the speech, did we? But here comes Joe. You remember he pointed out that spot. It's just a a pretty span of grass right now in Ohio. But guess what's going there? A massive computer chip company. To compete for the best jobs of the future, we also need to level the playing field with China and other competitors, he declared. And he gave us the details. That's why it's so important to pass the Bipartisan Innovation Act that is sitting in Congress, and it will make record investments in those emergency, emerging, emerging technologies and American manufacturing. Here's one example. If you travel 20 miles east of Columbus, Ohio, you'll find 1,000 empty acres of land. It won't look like much. But if you stop and look closely, you'll see a field of dreams, the ground on which America's future will be built. This is where Intel, the American company that helped build Silicon Valley, is going to build its $20 billion semiconductor mega site, up to eight state-of-the-art, eight state-of-the-art factories in one place, 10,000 new good-paying jobs, some of the most sophisticated manufacturing in the world, to make computer chips the size of your fingertip that power the world and our everyday lives, smartphones, the internet, technology we have yet to invent. But that's just the beginning. Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger, who is here tonight. Stand up, Pat. Hey, Pat, thank you. Told me they are ready to increase their investment from $20 billion to $100 billion. That would be one of the biggest investments in manufacturing in American history. And all they're waiting for, this is... This is it. This is what describes what this is about. All they're waiting for you is to pass this bill. So let's not wait any longer. Send it to my desk. I'll sign it. Wait a minute. There's a thousand acres, this this gorgeous, empty thousand acres of land. The assumption for Americans is that, hey, Intel's bought that land, and they're getting ready to build that major factory, and it's going to have 10,000 new good-paying jobs. And... The CEO of the company, Pat Gelsinger, 
He originally committed to $20 billion. We're going to build it and we're going to invest $100 billion. And to trigger this, all you got to do is finish the bill so I can sign it into law. What's in the bill? The House version of the bill includes, I know this will shock you, but several hidden measures that would allow Intel and other companies to import foreign workers for the heartland jobs instead of hiring young and experienced Americans for these high-tech jobs. You remember last week we did an exhaustive analysis of those H-1B-1 visas that even Republicans in Congress are pushing for. You know what those are for? So that Intel and other especially big tech companies can go to India and Southeast Asia and they can bring workers over to fill those same jobs that Americans already know and have been in college and business community uh, junior colleges learning those trades. They can get those Asians and Indians for a whole lot less money. And so only thing holding them back and stopping them from doing that, they need more H-1B-1 visas. And the Biden administration is going along with it. The draft of America Competes Act of 2022. It'll allow foreigners to win an uncapped number of those visas by studying to become ordinary chemists, doctors, engineers, and statisticians, or accountants, tax experts, computer security experts, statisticians, ecologists, and many other types of professionals. It's insanity. The idea that you would create a bill that supposedly improves America's competitiveness against China by outsourcing all of the skilled labor to Chinese people, that you have to get a special visa for them to come over here, and they're going to take one of those 10,000 good jobs from an American. The bill emerged from the House shortly after the Senate blocked the bill back better, And that one, you'll remember, tried to create new pipelines for foreign graduates to get U.S. white-collar jobs. Since 2000, Congress has delivered at least 1 million workers to the Fortune 500 and at least 1 million workers to the health care sector came through Congress creating those H-1B visas and giving those big companies a green light to look over the heads of people sitting in their offices applying for jobs as Americans and giving those to those immigrants, not because the immigrants will do a better job, but they'll work cheaper. They'll work cheaper. So a couple of things, and and, and I want to move on to, to something that's critical. We have a problem a real big problem in the energy sector that's, that it goes all, I don't know how many levels deep in our economy and why. It impacts all of us. Biden was up there bragging about, you know, these companies, you get these tax breaks and all those wealthy people. And he even mentioned 51 major corporations, multi-billion dollar corporations made billions of dollars last year and didn't pay a penny in taxes It's a bald-faced lie. We've been through that over and over and over again. Just Google it to get the answer for yourself. We're dealing with that. We have inflation out the wazoo. And much of that comes from the fact that 
Price of oil per barrel went over $105 late last night. When Biden took office, you know what the price of oil was? $40. What's happened on his watch has moved the price of oil from $40 a barrel two and a half times plus more than it was. And he blames oil companies for jacking up the prices. He didn't mention anything about where we're getting the oil that we have to have to consume daily because of his cancellation of the XL pipeline and those leases, oil and gas leases on federal lands. No more exploration off the coast of California. No more wells, the private industry. They can't do it. All of those happen on his watch, and he wonders why the price of oil went from 40 to $107 a barrel in just a little over a year, a year and a few weeks. He doesn't understand why. Do you realize that he could stop all of this? He could stop the huge increase in prices for everything, from the gas pump to the grocery store to hiring employees? If he would do just one thing, if he would pull together a bunch of the national, the U.S. energy company heads and say, look, we're throwing away all the restrictions. We're going to roll back. Let's just say go back a couple of years. The restrictions that you had, we're going to go back to them, just like they were then. And we need you to create the maximum amount of energy, carbon fuel, and even wind energy, and solar energy, if you can do it. But we want, within the next 60 days, for this nation to be what it was the 1st of October in 2020. Energy independent. And we want you to create more than we're going to consume and buy from you as Americans. And so what we're going to do is we're going to point all of this, or most of this, to Europe. Especially oil and gas energy. We're going to sell it to them. And they won't have to deal with Vladimir Putin to buy the oil and gas that they have to get from him now. They'll be able to get it from us, and we're going to give them stable prices and the consistency that we have a history of doing. And oh, by the way, the oil and the gas that comes out of the ground over here, even before it gets to the processing process, is cleaner, far cleaner than any that comes out of Russia, which is a fact. And therefore, it's going to be more climate friendly. He could stop this madness that we're talking about today. And Americans are living today and every day if he would just do that. Larry Kudlow, our buddy from Fox Business, was a, uh, a consultant in the Donald Trump administration. He said what you and I think. This is total madness, but listen to his plan. He's a business guy. He knows the finance industry. He knows it well. He's been in it his entire adult life. Here's Larry. Yesterday on a Sunday talk show, Madam Saki said Biden critics are misdiagnosing the problem vis-a-vis Vladimir Putin and his oil and gas. We don't need more oil and gas in the U.S., she said. We need to wean ourselves off it. Reopening fossil fuels is not the answer. Well, she is wrong. She is dead wrong. Just ask Germany and Europe, by the way, who decided to go green. That didn't work. Their economy slumped badly. They even had to go back to coal for a while. 
and ultimately are held hostage now to Russian natural gas and oil. America shouldn't be held hostage to Russian gas or anything else for that matter. Joe Biden has not yet sanctioned Russian energy companies or energy lending banks, but Biden has sanctioned the entire American fossil fuel industry, and that is his mistake. Besides ending the Keystone Pipeline and stopping drilling in Alaska and raising drilling fees on public lands and generally insulting our energy companies at every turn, as he did last Thursday, for example, now his Interior Department has frozen all new leases on federal lands. That's right. The Energy Department has frozen six applications for LNG experts, four of which would go to Europe to help out. Meanwhile, FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, the SEC, and quite possibly the Federal Reserve, all waging a jihad against fossil fuel companies. This is madness. We're still pumping under 12 million barrels of oil per day. We should be well through 13 million and heading towards 14 million, and the industry says it can get to 15 million barrels per day. That's where we should be. Our natural gas and LNG is the cheapest and cleanest in the world. Turning on all the spigots full throttle should be our policy right now. That would reduce prices for world oil and domestic gasoline. And it would undermine Vladimir Putin's war financing. That's the key. How Biden cannot see this is beyond me. Solar panels and wind turbines are not going to defeat Vladimir Putin. Gearing up energy independence for the world's greatest energy industry will defeat Putin. Don't forget, sky-high prices empower the Russian dictator. In 2008, with $150 a barrel, he took Georgia. In 2014, with $100 a barrel, he took Crimea. This past year, going from $50 to $100 a barrel, that's an $84 billion profit for Putin this year alone, he invaded Ukraine. And there is no telling where else he'll go. That is the cold, hard facts of energy, history, and Putin. The U.S. and Europe have finally done the right thing in sanctioning Russia's central bank. That's going to neutralize their $630 billion foreign exchange reserves. The ruble has collapsed. The stock market has virtually collapsed. Trading has stopped. Investment sanctions will badly damage Russia's economy. But, 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 we have not sanctioned Rosneft or Gazprom, nor some of the energy lending banks. So Putin's oil and gas war financing scam continues. We're going to have to make a tough call very soon about this story. Unless the brave Ukrainians can somehow stop Putin's war machine, but this whole problem was brought on by the radical left Green New Deal policies and, of course, the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan. My point is, these problems are of Biden's own making. We'll see what he says tomorrow night in his State of the Union address. But let me make one final thought. No matter what Biden and his cronies may say or do, the problem here is not America. The problem is not some kind of Jimmy Carter malaise. The problem is a malaise in the Biden administration with big government socialist policies that the American people have completely rejected. American folks are alive and well. 
the cavalry is coming. We will save America. Obviously, Kudlow did that the day before the State of the Union message, and Biden did announce last night in the message some sanctions on those very banks. What's interesting to note, though, we haven't been given a list. We've not been able to find a list. We have looked far and wide to find a list of who those new people are and banks are that are going to be sanctioned. Biden made one really strong, powerful uh, notice, gave us that last night when he was talking about Ukraine, and that the banks that he is sanctioning will lock up all the money that Vladimir Putin has deposited. You remember it was about $900 billion in excess because of the increased cost of gas at the pump, including a bunch of it here in the United States. He had amassed that extra $900 billion. That's what he needs to go after, he being Joe Biden. Whoever holds those in those Russian banks, if he doesn't get that, unless he can choke off Russia's ability to sell all of that international oil and gas, which he's doing now, if he stops the Russian government from being able to transact internationally, which he has the sole power to do, and hopefully when he said it last night, he really is doing that. We're not going to stop digging. We're going to find out for sure if he really is doing that. It will cripple Vladimir Putin and will probably be the only thing that will stop him from doing more damage in Ukraine than he already has. This is all just insanity, folks. <laughs> and it just gets deeper and deeper. By the way, who's standing in the wings and everybody's looking to to find out what he's going to do coming up in 2024? We tried to tell everybody here, Donald Trump's not raising money now for 2024. He understands after spending four years dealing every day with trying to talk members of Congress into considering seriously the policies that he promised the American people that he would get passed because he thought he had real support in the U.S. House of Representatives in the Senate, only to find out he really didn't. We told you he's going to be going out and supporting candidates that are running, real conservatives that are running for office, primarily for the U.S. Congress. Well, they had primaries yesterday in a bunch of places. Every candidate that was endorsed by former President Trump in the Texas Republican primaries have either won or are substantially leading their races, which will potentially solidify Trump's kingmaker status in the first primaries of 2022. A much coveted prize among Republican hopefuls. And he gave his stamp approval to 33 of those. Polling out of Texas has already shown that GOP voters are more likely to support candidates who have passed Trump's muster. Big night in Texas, he tweeted, all 33 candidates that were Trump-endorsed have either won their primary elections or are substantially leading in the case of a runoff. Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick have won in a landslide. Thank you and congratulations to all. Now, I know... There are some people out there, Larry Hogan, I think it's Larry Hogan, who is the governor of Maryland. He's supposed to be a conservative. He is a Republican, but he's a rhino, Republican in name only. I heard a uh, an interview with him overnight, 
and the interviewer asked him, because he famously can't stand Donald Trump and lashed out against him, it was expected that the governor was going to not run for governor again. I think he's time, uh, he can't run again. I, I believe he's limited out. And he was asked by several biggies if he would run for the Senate for Maryland. And he laughed about it last night and said, I'm not going to run for the Senate. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to support Donald Trump? And he laughed and he said, no way will I support Donald Trump. There's a big group of people, thankfully not nearly as big as they want us to believe, but there are a bunch of people that are elected officials serving in the House and the Senate, and even in state and local places around the nation who really aren't conservative. They're really not. They just looked at that as a place where they could most easily get elected. And they jump back and forth all the time. Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey. You know who he is. Hogan, they're big buddies. It's going to be interesting to watch as this thing plays out with Donald Trump because the 2022 primaries, before you know it, folks, they're going to be right here. November, remember, we're in March now, March the 2nd. There's going to be a lot of movement between now and November. You can bet it. Hopefully for the good. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101. Only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Look, we know that boy's going to ask again, so let's be ready. Fine, I'll be him. You ready? Ready. Mom, could you hook me up with a GoPhone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, Moms. GoPhone is totally different. What? It'll only cost me an arm? Chillax. It has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay, we'll get a GoPhone. Really? Uh, Really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes. No. GoPhone, only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless AT&T customers and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T, your world delivered. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house, your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. Everyone thinks they can handle the truth, but the want and the will are two different things. Truthnewsnet.org Once again, Dan Newman. We're going to point it out to you pretty much every day. You're going to get it here. 
there's something else out there that I've, I've, I, I really think we need to bring up today. I really do. Let's jump right into some important news that began our day yesterday in a chain of week-long invasion of Ukraine. What was news about the Putin invasion Tuesday morning? Woke up to see news that the Russians are moving in the big guns to wage total war on the Ukrainians like it couldn't get worse. Those are the folks that have the gall to resist Moscow, those Ukrainians. We could spend the whole show today talking about the miracles that we've seen play out across the nation and far many more that we haven't seen. There's so many of them, you want to scream. You want heaven to open up and rain fire uh, fire down on Vladimir Putin for doing what he's doing. I saw a quote from the French finance minister, and this kind of shocked me. You got to stay with me through this. The sanctions inflicted, this is the minister speaking, the sanctions inflicted on Russia are extremely effective. We are waging total economic and financial war on Russia. We are going to provoke the collapse of the Russian economy. And we've heard that. We got that for justification for anything and everything we're doing. It just makes common sense. They're going to brag about what they're doing just like we do. But two thoughts come to me at the same time. One, well, hey, that's good. Putin deserves it over what he's doing. And then the second one, oh my God, this really could mean World War III. Seriously, folks, we're talking about the the nation of France. The French finance minister, a senior government minister, France is a major Western power, and he's openly boasting that the West is waging total economic and financial war against Russia, Russia is a nuclear-armed superpower. It's obvious that we in the West are doing exactly that, pretty much, but the fact that this man is also on TV bragging about it, the French minister, it's terrifying, unhinged even. It's clear that madness has overwhelmed Putin, folks, but there's a reactive madness that's overwhelming us. If the goal is to punish Russia maximally for what it is doing to Ukraine, no matter the risk, then it makes sense. But if there's a higher goal to avoid World War III, well, this isn't the way to do it. I mean, folks, listen to this. This is what's happening. It sounds wonderful until you think it through. Ukrainian pilots today are on the way to Poland. Now, what are they going to Poland for? They're picking up fighter jets. Well, you first thought, well, Putin needs that. I mean, he's bombing Ukraine. Folks, this might be becoming a NATO-European Union war on Russia. Now, maybe this scares Putin into stopping his war on Ukraine. I hope it does. It Maybe this scars others into getting rid of him. And I believe there's a long line of people that want to do just that. Maybe fear of number one or number three at becoming a NATO EU war on Russia, or maybe this scares others into getting rid of him. Maybe that does happen. That may make Putin to do horrifying things to Ukraine, Europe, or the world. Because chapter five of our agreement with NATO, every NATO member 
If there's a war on one NATO member, every other member of NATO has to come to the behest of the NATO member that's under attack. And folks, this isn't sitting here in history in a vacuum. Let's let's go down memory lane for a second. September 12, 2001, from that day, and then the day up through 2003 that we launched the War of Choice on Iraq, there's a lot of similarity here. You remember the chaos and the furor in our nation when that happened? We had the bombing of the World Trade Center on 9-11. That was all we were all thinking about. And we all knew that when we did, when we went to Iraq, that was the right thing to do this. I mean, look what he did to us. And we just knew that's where it all started. Weapons of mass destruction over there. We knew it. Never found any weapons of mass destruction or proof that there had been there or had been used. But everything was going to be okay. Remember Karl Rove? He's still around. Conservative. He was in the Bush 43 White House. He boasted at the time, we create our own reality. You remember, or you should remember, how anybody who said that and said this, hang on, wait a minute. You remember that? That's when he was looking for some votes in that election that they lost. You remember him as, if, if you remember how I do, he was derided as being weak, unpatriotic, and a bunch of other things. People poured French wine down the drain then. Remember that? because France wouldn't support the war. In the same way they're pouring out Russian vodka today. The Dixie Chicks lost their audience, remember? They came out against Bush 43 and their fame for opposing the war. On and on it went. Look what happened. A few years later, a Democratic administration was in the White House. Turmoil broke out in Libya, which was then ruled by the brutal Gaddafi. NATO, which is supposed to be a purely defensive alliance, we're supposed to believe that NATO was the one who did it. They led airstrikes against Gaddafi, bringing down his government. Video of Gaddafi's capture by his enemies went viral as dead images of his dead body after they killed him. A triumphant Secretary of State Hillary Clinton comically boasted before a 60 Minutes interview, we came, we saw, he died. They killed Gaddafi. Libya went from then being a dictatorship government by a brute to a failed state governed by many brutes. Islamic extremism thrived there, still does. Human slaves were bought and sold. Was happening then, still is happening then. Hordes of migrants headed to Europe from that. Years later, after he left office, Obama said failing to anticipate and plan for the post-Gaddafi order was the worst mistake of his presidency. We do create our own realities when we wage war, but they're not necessarily the realities we want to create, and they're definitely not the ones that, in many cases, we should have created. Putin is finding out right now in Ukraine. He, he held the thought that it would fall quickly. 18 hours, he said, to be exact. He really thought they were going to invade Ukraine. It was going to be over in 18 hours. 
Now, though, the Russians are bringing in the big guns and are going to unleash hell on these poor people. It's despicable. And yes, the Russians should be made to pay a price for what they're doing. But keep in mind, the most important thing in front of Western leaders today now has got to be preventing the war from becoming a world war. Nobody wants to talk about this right now. Why? Russia's behaving evilly in Ukraine. And to reflect on how the world got to this point feels like breaking faith with those suffering Ukrainians. Resist that urge. It's the same emotional mistake that people made post-11 when any questioning of the proposed war on Iraq felt like breaking faith with the 9-11 dead 3,000 Americans at the Twin Towers. All these men who issued those warnings were foreign policy realist. Their aim was to avoid war. Nobody listened. And here we are. None of that is to excuse Putin's choice to make war on Ukraine. The ultimate fault is his, but that does not excuse our leaders and the leaders of our fellow NATO nations and other friendlies for making policy choices that help to get us here. That's important to remember, folks. A lot of our policies led Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine. And now these same leaders are waging total economic and financial war on Russia and arming the Ukrainians. They're making it awfully tempting for Russia as its economy collapses virtually overnight to lash out militarily against a NATO country, in which case welcomes us all to World War III. And this is not a joke. This is not a what if. This is happening in real time right now today. Look, though, at what NBC's chief foreign policy correspondent on the ground in Ukraine is doing, trying to goad NATO into war. Richard Engel tweeted this yesterday. Perhaps the biggest risk calculation slash moral dilemma of the war so far a massive Russian convoy is about 30 miles from Kiev. The U.S. NATO could likely destroy it, but that would be direct involvement against Russia and risk everything. Does the West watch in silence as it rolls? This is not journalism, folks. What you just heard is pro-war advocacy from one of the biggest U.S. television networks. This is propaganda. Russia Today, or RT, the state-funded broadcaster, is being forced off the air in the West and also online because we've got to protect ourselves from pro-war Russia propaganda. But pro-war American propagandists are allowed, you see, because of reasons. In today's story, I put up a 20-minute monologue from Monday evening's Tucker Carlson Tonight Show. You need to go watch it. It's one of the most important things you'll see and hear this week. Please, seriously, watch it. He points out the utter madness of senior figures in our country, political and retired military, who are advocating for shooting war with Russia and using the Ukraine conflict to stifle domestic dissent. Note especially Democratic Senator Mark Warner telling the Washington Post that he's had positive feedback from U.S. tech giants responding to his request that they kick Russian propaganda off their platforms. 
But Tucker points out what defines Russian propaganda. His same presentation features Democrat Representatives Pelosi and Barbara Lee likening Russia's war on Ukraine to Republican opposition to Democratic voting rights proposals. Don't you see where this is going? Any questioning of any U.S. policy towards Russia in this war is going to be denounced as Russian propaganda. We do have a First Amendment. But if compliant tech firms start bowing to the request of our American politicians slash lawmakers to take propaganda off their platforms, dissent damn sure is going to be silenced. Check out this book, Live Not by Lies. Check it out. You don't need to have a state with totalitarian powers to achieve a totalitarian totalitarian result if the tech oligarchs and other senior figures of the ruling class are of one mind. Thank God Tucker can still broadcast. (laughs) I don't know how much longer he's going to be allowed to do so. He is under siege from the left. What he's pointing out, standing up to the lies the herd lives by, is that the American people are being stampeded into a shooting war with nuclear-armed Russia by a ruling class, a ruling class, a ruling class, a bureaucracy in large, unelected people that has blundered from one war to another in the past 20 years, has never once been accountable for its catastrophic failures. How many Pentagon generals have been made to account for their lies and the failures in Afghanistan? Zero. And we could go on and on looking back. Benghazi, four Americans slaughtered. We were giving arms to those wonderful Syrian rebels that we were promised were going to overthrow the leader of Syria who was killing his own citizens with gas. Who were those people, those leaders? Secretary of State. Who was Secretary of State? Hillary Clinton, Jake Sullivan, who's now Biden's national security advisor, was in the State Department under Hillary, as was Antony Blinken, who is now our Secretary of State, CENTCOM, all military throughout the European sector, Africa, and the Middle East, is now our Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin. They were the ones that did all of that. They were the ones that created ISIS along with Joe and Barack. The same ones now that are saying the same things now. Tucker's also saying that what we see rolling out in real time is a presentiment of how the regime is going to suppress the deplorables and anyone else who dissents from their order. One Los Angeles Based writer wrote this, at this moment in my own country, in America, I am not free to express my opinion in public, put certain politician signs up in my lawn, bumper stickers on my car, or otherwise break from regime consensus without suffering severe physical or economic consequences. That's from Peachy Keenan, tweeted that out day before yesterday. You see, everything that's being done to Russians now by the liberal democratic leadership of the West heedless of its wisdom or justice, simply because the Russians are evil. And whatever we do to them is justified. 
If you don't think this is going to be turned on political and religious conservatives who dissent from the ruling class's priorities, you're, you're deluded. This is not a defense of Russians. This is a reminder that whenever the liberal ruling class achieves consensus to attack its perceived enemy, the consequences are always devastating. Events today in this whole thing are very fluid as I'm writing, but what I fear will emerge here in the U.S. out of this catastrophe is total resolve by the governing elites to strike at any critics, any critics whatsoever of the neoliberal order and its priorities. How? Smearing them as allies of Vladimir Putin. All of us conservative Christians who are eager to sign up for the regime change in Moscow We're doing that because of our laudable sympathy for suffering Ukrainians. And reflexive anti-Russian spite from the Cold War is going to find the same sort of total financial and economic war and other things turned on them here at home. If we go down this road, mark my word. If you're a Christian, you're going to shut up. You won't even be able to talk about it. You won't feel comfortable to talk to anybody. You'll even avoid going to church because someone may see you there. None of these U.S., European Union, and NATO actions are as audacious as the Russian invasion, which started it all. They are a natural, proportional, even predictable response to Putin's decision to settle the question of Ukrainian nationhood, doing that through the force of arms rather than at a table discussion, talking through. Yet it's precisely the naturalness of our policy that we should be cautious and be wary of. A righteous reaction may be a dangerous one. The imperatives of action disguise one ugly truth. In the field of power politics, it is outcomes, not intentions, that matter most. That's what they feel. That doesn't mean that's the way it should happen. Failure to slow down and examine the assumptions and motivations behind our choices may and probably will lead to some decisions that feel right in the moment but fail to safeguard our interests, secure our values, or reduce the human toll of war in the long term. In a 2019 book by Michael Mazar about the decision-making process that led to the Iraq War, quote, to discover how the U.S. leaped headlong into catastrophe, Mazar read all of the administration memoirs, tracked down all available open source material on the pre-war debates, and interviewed just about everybody involved except George W. Bush himself. What Mazar found was not that the Bush administration intentionally lied to go into Iraq. What he discovered was something even more unsettling. Nobody at the senior levels of his administration ever really discussed whether or not this was something we should do. No one ever asked, should we invade? Instead, they debated questions like, if we decide to invade, what must we do to prepare? And when we invade, what must our objectives be? Mazar explains this curious lack of the first order thought, the origin point of the motivated reasoning that produced both flawed intelligence assessments and unnecessarily hasty demands for action as a byproduct of what? It's the right thing to do. It's imperative. We're moral people. To 
sum it up, the discussion about war is not carried out rationally in terms of debating pros and cons, but is rather about assembling, assembling rationales to support our policies that have already been decided and usually decided for moral reasons. With the Iraq War, the idea was that the U.S. had to do something in the wake of 9-11. That something turned out to be this catastrophe in Iraq. Decision makers felt that invading Iraq was the right thing to do, and they talked themselves into it. Mazar quoted by Greer. The emphases are on Greer's. Here we go. Such an approach to arriving at judgments allows us to see the Iraq decision for what it was, a creeping or sudden and powerful feeling that a given course of action was the right one based on simple rules or convictions that were more moralistic or normal than analytical. And the fact that the decision had this character allows us to better understand many seemingly confusing aspects of it. The moralistic language that surrounded the policy process, the resistance to dissent, and the refusal to take risk seriously. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Judgments undertaken in this frame of mind have more of the cast of fate than of consequentialist decision-making, more in common with revelation than calculation. When people apply their quote-unquote sacred values, we all have them, but do we apply them in every case? They come to have an almost thoughtless conviction in what they're going to do. It's right. It feels right. From the depths of their well-honed intuitive judgment, and practical arguments have little place in that thought process. And that's where we are right now today. That's how we got into this disaster of Iraq. And it's how we're careening in whatever far greater disaster awaits us around the bend. We can all look at what Putin is doing to Ukraine and be outraged by it, and we should. We all rightly should be. But that does not mean that everything we might do to punish Russia for its unjust war is the wise thing to do. Very few people in positions of power seem to be thinking about that right now. Even though Russia is not a third world power like Iraq, instead, the consent manufacturing machine is kicking into overdrive. As Tucker and Tanner Greer both said, here's Greer talking about the things the West is now doing to punish Russia. He said, one can make a convincing defense for any of these measures. It's quite possible that all of them combined with the other options now being discussed in Western capitals, will successfully blunt Russian aggression, strengthen NATO's long-term defense, or deter countries like China from repeating the Russian playbook in places like Taiwan. That is possible. Yet events are passing very swiftly. The rapidly spiraling deployment of these policies does not mean a carefully calculated campaign of pressure so much as a rushed attempt to meet the demands of what we say are imperatives. They're our moral imperatives. The logic of the imperative has led the West into disaster before. we got to be vigilant lest we blindly leap into a catastrophe once again. Think about it. Though most Americans at this point don't want the U.S. to engage in direct military action with Russia over this, Many of the people who lead us do not have our best interest at heart. No matter what the New York Times, 
The Council on Foreign Relations and Twitter alleged saying so does not make Vladimir Putin a good man. We came, we saw, he died, ha ha ha. Hillary Clinton is no longer in government. But don't doubt for one second that people with her mentality are the ones calling the shots today. And the top media are in the same class. Remember this as you digest this today in the context of Russia invading Ukraine and all the ancillary noise that surrounds it. Everything is about everything. Everything is about everything. Sometimes ascertaining what everything is can be puzzling. But in this case, Joe Biden and his leadership team, if there really is anyone on his team who's a leader, they better figure this out quickly. I'm pretty sure Vladimir Putin has already done that. And do say nuclear war as a possibility is stupid. Don't say that. Leaders in Nagasaki and Hiroshima said the same thing when they were informed that that great bomb that had never been enacted before was on their way to their shores. Even with that, they didn't even give one thought about one thought about what they needed to do to get ready, just in case. I got to be honest with you. Our leaders better look at this. They better look hard and cautiously at what we do from this point out. Putin's already playing his hand. Folks, if one NATO nation today takes a single step in aggressive action, not defense action, I'm talking about aggressive actions against Putin initiated by them and not in response to direct things that Putin has done, we could overnight be in World War III that quickly. And I'm not saying to do or not to do something. I'm not a military expert. I'm not in the scheme. I'm not in the pipeline of information and stuff from coming over there. But we cannot unilaterally police the world. We can't do it. We don't have that capability. And we're foolish if we think that we can. There are a bunch of people out there in leadership that think any of this that comes along, we have a responsibility and therefore that means we have everything necessary to get into it and to beat our foes. We don't know what all he has. But what we are seeing today, he's not afraid to get hit in the face. How many of the American people are willing to not have a place to sleep tonight? To not have a place to feed their babies? That would be if their baby survived an initial attack from a nuclear superpower that today has the ability to put an ICBM, ICBM intercontinental ballistic nuclear missile in your zip code. Oh, he would never do that. I pray that he wouldn't do it. And I pray even if he can do it, which he can't, he won't do it. But I think you'll agree that looking at where he is now and how he got there, I'm talking about Ukraine, doesn't necessarily have any realistic justification for doing so. So why would we expect 
he wouldn't lob a nuke our way just because it didn't make sense for him to do that. He obviously is not really worried about the flashback he's getting from this. That should be fundamental in the thoughts and minds of every conversation anybody in this military and the military and leadership of our foreign partners. That should be where the conversations begin and where they end. You got all this for absolutely nothing. Unforgettable. That's what you are. Perfume, like the memory of a beautiful song, lingers on and on. L'Air du Temps Perfume, the classic French fragrance that you can wear anywhere, anytime, makes you unforgettable. L'Air du Temps Perfume, by Nina Ricci. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. You love chocolate. Mm. Chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Before we move on, I was just reading something during the break. I think you need to hear this. Listen to this. I just happened to get sent this minutes ago. This is from FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Association. It's a government entity. It's an agency. And they put out some um, instructions for you and I to listen to and take actions on in case of a nuclear explosion. I'm going to read them to you. This will blow your mind, folks. Here, I'm pulling it up. Nuclear explosions can cause significant damage and casualties from blast, heat, and radiation. But you can keep your family safe, FEMA's telling us, by knowing what to do and being prepared if it occurs. A nuclear weapon is a device that uses a nuclear reaction to create the explosion. Nuclear devices range from a small portable device carried by an individual to a weapon carried by a missile. A nuclear explosion may occur with or without a few minutes warning. 
Fallout is most dangerous in the first few hours after the detonation when it is giving off the highest levels of radiation. It takes time for fallout to arrive back to ground level, often more than 15 minutes for areas outside of the immediate blast zones. This is enough time for you to be able to prevent significant radiation exposure. So how do you do that? This is FEMA. You can look this up. It's on ready.gov where they post all their instructions for any of these government agencies. So they give us three Three really important things that we can do and need to do immediately. Get inside the nearest building to avoid radiation. Brick or concrete are best. Number two, remove contaminated clothing and wipe off or wash unprotected skin. If you were outside after the fallout arrived, you got to do that. Hand sanitizer does not protect against fallout. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth if possible. Do not use disinfectant wipes on your skin. And then this is the wisdom that's coming out of this administration, the Biden administration. This is what those that are appointed and hired and paid billions of dollars to do for you and me to keep us safe just in case. You ready for number three? Go to the basement or the middle of the building. Stay away from the outer walls and roof. Here we go. You're going to throw up when I read this to you. Try to maintain a distance of at least six feet between yourself and people who are not part of your household. If possible, wear a mask if you're sheltering with people who are not a part of your household, children under two years old, people who have trouble breathing, and those who are unable to remove masks on their own should not wear them. That is the total number of nuclear explosion preparations our government cares to share with you and me. It always goes back to cloth masks, doesn't it? (laughs) If you weren't at the top of the show, I I heard this morning this great line I thought was good. If you watched the State of the Union message last night, most of the Senate and most of the House members were there. There was a lot of absentees, but nobody was wearing a mask. I only saw one guy in the room that had on a mask. It was a guy in a wheelchair. And the reason I bring that up is most of the people that were in that room fall into the Democratic category of what we've been told by the CDC and other medical experts for two years now are the people that are most vulnerable to COVID-19. 65 and older, 85 is when you really get in a bad spot. So looking around that room that holds about 600 people, um, nobody wearing a mask but this one guy. What we were looking at, folks, nobody has a mask on. In COVID terms, in CDC terms, what we saw was the largest nursing home in America. It was full of the people that are most susceptible to COVID-19 and serious injuries from COVID-19, and they weren't wearing masks. A week ago, you couldn't be in the house 
without wearing a mask. They changed that edict last Friday, and they did it to make the State of the Union look more like a normal State of the Union. If that was a Donald Trump rally, it would have been a super spreader. And that would have been the only thing we heard about it. Down at CPAC in Orlando, Florida, Nigel Farage, you remember him? He was on conservative news here a number of times over the past three or four years. He is a former member of the uh, parliament in the UK. Nigel addressed this Ukraine and Vladimir Putin thing. Just to kind of give you an idea to remember who he is. He's the leading force behind Brexit. You remember that? That was the uprising that resulted in the United Kingdom leaving the European Union. In a speech at at, uh, CPAC, he said that a failure of leadership from Joe Biden has resulted in Putin being emboldened enough to launch this invasion full bore of Ukraine. Putin had nothing to fear from the worst American president in the history of this nation. That's not a citizen of the United States saying that. It's Nigel Farage of the U.K., And he was talking about Joe Biden. I have no doubt that if Donald Trump had still been the president, that invasion of Ukraine would not have happened, he said. I'm not allowed to say, let's go Brandon, because it's too rude, Farage joked before launching into a full-throated, let's go Brandon chant with the CPAC crowd. But he went back to a more serious tone. He warned that if America continues to fail to assert its powers as the leader of the free world, Putin may attempt to reestablish the Russian empire of Catherine the Great of the Tsars and move beyond Ukraine to potentially recapture Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, or Estonia, or all of those, all of whom are NATO states and theoretically guaranteed the protection of the United States. Farad said that Putin is probing NATO for its weaknesses, explaining that the alliance suffered a severe blow after Joe Biden decided to unilaterally withdraw from Afghanistan last year without informing any of his NATO partners like the United Kingdom before he made that move. We're asking ourselves a question. Do Americans want to be the leaders of the Western world? Because if they're not, we have a problem. This is unfair on American taxpayers and American people, but it's a fact. The truth is, without America, NATO is a waste of space, he added noting the unwillingness of many NATO nations to fulfill their military spending requirements, which Trump frequently criticized countries like Germany for doing, and it resulted in NATO countries for the first time beginning to pay their fair share. Farage did moraine, however. He maintained that the West has to take some share of the blame in driving Putin to launch this invasion by expanding NATO and the European Union, saying, We have made mistakes. We have got things wrong. He went on to say it's critical for us to show leadership in order to deter the bigger threat of an invasion of Taiwan by China, which claims ownership over the island, despite the fact that Beijing has never ruled over the country, which has its own distinct culture, its own uh, currency, its own military, and a democratically elected government. If China takes Taiwan, you could realize what they're going to do for us. Despite the massive investments, the semiconductors that we need, there's so much of our modern life, the semiconductors that are needed without 
which the car industry would grind to a halt, most of that comes from Taiwan. It would no longer, and that's probably the biggest reason Xi Jinping wants to take Taiwan and make it part of China. He did finish on a kind of an optimistic note. He urged the conservative activist at CPAC to spread a message of American greatness to win back the Congress in the upcoming midterm elections and ultimately the White House. The question is, he said, are you ready for this great battle? Are you ready for America to once again take its positive position as the leader of the free world? Are you ready for a big win in the midterms in November? All of those points are salient. Isn't it interesting? We have to have a Brit come over to get us to look and think about all of that. So during the break, I kind of wondered what uh, the modern-day Mark Twain in the Senate had to say about what he saw from the State of the Union and message last night. I'm talking about my state's own senior senator, John Kennedy. As usual, when he weighed in, he was quiet, he sounded reserved, but he was on point. I'm going to share these couple of minutes with Senator John Kennedy analyzing, from his perspective, Joe Biden's State of the Union message last night. Here's the unvarnished truth as I see it. President Biden has mismanaged COVID. President Biden has mismanaged the economy. President Biden has opened up our southern border. And President Biden has uh, sent inflation sky high. President Biden has forfeited America's energy independence. President Biden's Justice Department has treated caring parents like criminals, uh, while his tolerance for the defund the police movement has helped turn our cities and our streets over to criminals. President Biden has mismanaged Afghanistan. Um, and I, I pray he doesn't mismanage Russia's war of aggression. And tonight, I heard President Biden say that uh, he aims to stay the course. Isn't that just like Washington, D.C.? Uh, figure out what doesn't work and keep doing it. For Louisiana families... Uh, that's bad news. It's bad news at work. It's bad news at, at the grocery store. It's bad news at home. And it's bad news at the gas pump. It's bad news for the education of our kill- children. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's bad news for the security of our country. American sovereignty and national security depend on America's energy independence. We know that. Um, that's not a... A, a startling realization. That's just a known fact that we all understand. And that depends in part on Louisiana's oil and natural gas resources, resources that this president continues to ignore. He also continues to ignore the, the uh, good jobs that oil and gas creates. Right now, the Biden administration doesn't seem to accept or address the, uh, the reality of a new axis of evil. Uh, China and Russia's de facto alliance anchors a group of bad actors, of outlaws, of tyrants uh, that that are getting uh, bolder and more aggressive every day. 
Because of the president's own policies at home and abroad, inflation continues to surge at the grocery store. We know that. And at the gas pump uh, and at the clothing store and everywhere. And I didn't hear a solution from him tonight. He still wants to spend more and, and borrow more. What President Biden doesn't want to do is secure our border. I didn't hear a plan for doing that tonight either. Um, we don't know who's coming across our border into our country. We have absolutely no idea. And President Biden doesn't seem to care about the drug or human trafficking that rage on. Meanwhile, our kids um, were only as valuable as our children, folks. Our kids have fallen behind because their schools were closed for tar far too long. The president uh, d did a whole lot more to intimidate parents than to get teachers back in the classroom. Um, a better future for these kids and for all Americans demands principled, clear-eyed, tough leadership. And I hope the American people see some soon. Senator John Kennedy put it, I, I guess, way better than I possibly could. Folks, we got to stand up, we got to pay attention, and we've got to figure out where we are and not let emotions drive the ship. You know what I'm saying. That's a wrap on today's show. Thank you for being here. Don't forget, you can grab the show numerous places, wherever you can get a podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, uh, even Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. And now on Facebook, on my Facebook page, Dan Newman. We want you to weigh in. Make sure you grab any show that you might have missed. Until tomorrow, just rest on this note. We know, however bad it is, the best is yet to come. See ya. Take this message